0: Hall of Fame coaches, national champions, lottery picks, the best minds in basketball. Welcome into the sidelines with Evan Daniels.
1: What's up, college basketball fans? Welcome back into the Sidelines podcast. I'm your host, Evan Daniels, college basketball insider over at FS1, as well as the director of basketball recruiting at 24-7 Sports. Today's episode is a 60-second episode of the Sidelines podcast, and today's featured guest is a colleague of mine from over at FS1. It's college basketball analyst Nick Baugh, and we break down the remaining bracket In the NCAA tournament, we'll walk through the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight, and give our picks for who will win it all. Before I jump to that interview and conversation with Nick Baugh, I want to make sure that you are subscribed to the Sidelines with Evan Daniels podcast. The best way to do that is to shoot over to your favorite podcast app and or Apple Podcasts. Hit the subscribe button for me. Also, leave a rating and a review. That's the best way to support this podcast. Without further ado, let's jump to that conversation with FS1 college basketball analyst Nick Baugh.
0: It's time to go man-a-man with Evan Daniels. Send it in, big fella.
1: Now I want to welcome in FS One College Basketball Analyst Nick Baugh to the sidelines with Evan Daniels Podcast. Nick, how you doing, buddy?
0: I'm doing great. How are you, Evan?
1: I am doing really well. Uh, wish the weather was a little better this time of year, but but life is good and college basketball is rolling on. So Uh, Zero complaints from me. Uh, We're coming off uh, a pretty ridiculous first and second round uh, of the NCAA tournament. Were you surprised at just how many upsets and kind of the craziness that we saw uh, in the tournament?
0: Yeah, to a certain extent, yes. I thought the most pressing question heading into the tournament was okay, is the NCAA tournament going to mirror the regular season with all the upsets and parity and top five teams going down what felt like on a weekly basis? Or would it? be a situation where chalk would prevail and it's like if you look at your bracket the left side of the bracket was just craziness and the right side of the bracket outside of Michigan State was was pretty much chalk so uh, on one hand I'm 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 surprised you know with with this with there are a few teams that I I really like that I'm surprised they got bounced Arizona uh, losing in the first round although Buffalo was a a really good team I'm surprised Xavier lost uh, didn't get out of the first weekend. And then Michigan State, I thought it was a team that was good enough to win the whole thing. So there are a couple teams in particular that I'm surprised are are out. But Evan, like if if you were paying attention, like this was kind of the first weekend kind of mirrored each week of the regular season where it was like anything could happen, top five teams, top ten teams going down. So maybe we should have seen this coming, but it doesn't lessen the shock when you see things like you know for you know sixteen over a one, for sure. and see teams like Loyola and Nevada punch through. It's it's just it's it was it was a really entertaining. The week is the, the first weekend kind of had everything you want in a in a tournament. You had the upsets, you had buzzer beaters, but then you had a lot of blue bloods also marching off.
1: No question, and I, I said just about what you just said on a radio show recently. is just. You know, this whole year, I think parity really showed through in college basketball. And and like you said, you know, there was, you know, outside of Virginia, who was pretty dominant and won 20 ACC games and won the league by four in Villanova, when they were healthy, it was really up and down year for a lot of teams. And, you know, we had teams getting two seeds with, you know, seven, eight losses. I mean, I, we yeah. should have seen this coming. But when you get that bracket in front of you, Nick, it's like oh, well, they have way more talent than them. I'm not going to pick them to beat them. And it's, it's, it's just funny how it all plays out. And now we're looking at uh, a sweet 16 in the South with a 9 seed, a 5 seed, an 11 seed, and a, a 7 seed. <laughs> I mean, how, about the, yeah. how, much, how much does that say about the, our game, our co- the collegiate game in terms of the parity uh, now in it?
0: Yeah, I, I think this is something that it feels like we've kind of been slowly trending towards this. Like you think about a lot of the great teams – maybe you know the, the certainly the 80s the 90s and even early 2000s not only were these teams supremely talented like a Kentucky or like a Duke but imagine Duke but they were all juniors and seniors like that's how things were in the in the 80s the 90s and even in the 2000s early 2000s and I, I think just those days are kind of changing a lot of the blue bloods are having kind of a revolving door now you have some teams like like Villanova who have been able to kind of maintain and have some three and four year guys that have that's kind of helped, but ultimately when you have teams kind of having to reshuffle the deck each and every year, I think that's when you see a Rhode Island be able to do what they've been able to do the last two years. I mean, the thing that's, when I I watch teams like Rhode Island and I watch teams like Buffalo and I'm like, man, if they would have seen different second round matchups, those teams were good enough to make uh, deep runs. They just kind of ran into some, some, some teams that were, were tough, tough draws for them. But I, I feel like this is going to become the new norm. Where like it's funny, I I talked to to Bill Self today on my radio show, and I asked him his thoughts on the sixteen beating the one, and he he said the the line is totally that that gap has been shrunk. Where Mm -hmm. really you're having some teams that are that are are, because you're you're now having a play in game be those sixteen seeds. Sometimes some of those teams would have been fifteen seeds. You know, it's like UNBC could have been a fifteen seed. And we've seen a 15 knockoff of two before, you know, should they have been a 15 or a 16? I don't know. But I just think that the talent gap is kind of shrunk between the, the mid majors and the, and the high majors. So I don't know. Sometimes it takes one thing to happen. And then all of a sudden, you know, you have one person averaging a triple double. I think we might end up having more here in years to come. Like I think we could see more 16s beating ones moving forward over the next decade or so.
1: No, I completely agree. And to speak to your point, I, I spoke to middle Tennessee, a uh, well, former Middle Tennessee state coach yep. and now Ole Miss head coach, Kermit Davis. And there was a turning point in his career at Middle. And it was really about seven years ago. And from that time on, he won more than 25 games on average a year. And I asked him, you know, what, what was what's the difference? Like, what, what did you change? And he, he said that he wanted to get older. And he really recruited yeah. to get old and stay old. And, and by that, he meant he went out and got some junior college kids and he got some transfers. And I think that you're seeing a model for some of these low and mid-major schools. And it speaks to what you said is these guys are getting and staying old, where like Kentucky or an Alabama or a Duke are all younger. And I, mm-hmm. I just think that speaks to to exactly your point. Yeah. Right? Well, let's jump. Uh, let's jump and, and kind of go through the uh, the Sweet Sixteen. I'm curious your picks, and and I'm curious who eventually we'll get to who you think is going to win it all. Um, but that Kansas State Kentucky nine uh, five matchup, and then Loyola Nevada. Who who do you see coming out of the South?
0: Well, I think uh, man, it's amazing if you think about the Kentucky team that we saw in November and and parts of December and even January. I mean, there I, I remember. At times, kind of thinking, man, what is this? You know, is there a chance that this Kentucky team is going to be on the bubble, and what's going to happen? It is. It's a testament to Cal and what he's done with this group, and keeping them focused and together in the midst of some some tough times. And then ultimately, the thing that always amazes me is like a lot of those guys got to be there for selfish reasons. You know, I mean, it's kind of the nature of the almost the selling point of Kentucky is like, come here, get you onto your next next venture in one or two years. And the fact that I feel like they seem as connected, and as you know, if it's good for me, it's good for if it's good for the team, it's good for me, kind of mantra, which makes me feel like they're they're playing their best basketball. And I feel like I I wasn't I was actually I was you know called the the Creighton Kansas State game on the radio, and tell you what Evan Creighton couldn't have played worse. I mean, literally could not have played worse, and they were right there throughout the game. I just and then then Kansas State goes and beats UMBC. So I think Kansas State is a team that I think the Dean Wade void is going to really be felt this weekend. Uh, if, yeah, they're not, you know, they're, not past gonna they're not getting yeah, past Kentucky.
1: They're not getting Kentucky. past
0: Kentucky. So, yeah, I mean I, I just I think Kentucky I, I think I like Kentucky and I like Kentucky by a lot in that game. And then I don't know what you the, one of the things with Nevada and Loyola is I always wonder with these teams the the Cinderella darlings do I'm always interested how they spend this week. Do they spend this week with their feet kicked up, letting everybody pat them on the back, like feeling like they've arrived or are they still hungry and right. have more work to be done? I think it maybe helps that they're seeing another mid-major, if you will, to make them feel like, Hey man, we, we can, I mean, shoot loyal. might be going, this is Nevada and Nevada. might be going, Oh gosh, all we got to do is get past Loyola. But I, I lean Nevada. I just look over the course of the season. They've been better. I think the the fact that you you saw what they could really be when they turn it on at the end of that uh, Cincinnati game where they you know erased a 22 point deficit, I just think they're uh, they're a little bit more explosive. Uh, so I, I I like Nevada in that matchup, but it's just it's interesting always which of those Cinderellas kind of how they treat this week and if they're satisfied or if they're still hungry.
1: No question, that's a great point. I was actually at. Uh, Nevada's comeback win over Texas and their comeback win over Cincinnati that is a fun team to watch play I, I think yeah. Eric Musselman has done a tremendous job of building that team and it's built around transfers you know the Martin twins from NC State Jordan Caroline's a transfer Kendall Stevens a transfer from Purdue and he just spreads spreads you out and he's got a bunch of shot makers that can just go yep. get buckets, and and the Martin Twins did that in both of those games. Uh, I was really impressed with them. I actually think they're kind of a, a sleeper. I think, I, I think that they'll play Kentucky in the Elite Eight, and I I actually think they could give Kentucky a run for their money. They got so many dudes that can just make shots. He's basically got doesn't really even play a point guard. He just plays a bunch of hybrid forwards and a undersized post, and and they they can just shoot. And I think it's a shot maker's game now. So uh, I like that team. Good I alive. like I like Kentucky to move on too.
0: Yeah, I look at Nevada, and I mean, they got four guys in double figures. And so they're not, oftentimes those mid majors can be like, you know, Mike Dom, where you feel like, okay, we take Mike Dom out, we're fine. Or, you know, back in the day with with Steph and you take Steph away, you're fine. Like, I don't necessarily feel like there's anybody on this Nevada team that you go, we take him out of the game, we're totally fine. Like, they have, like you're pointing out, they have multiple guys that can attack and make plays. So I like, I think think that Nevada Kentucky Elite 8 game. Could be a really, really entertaining one. Yeah, I agree. And I, I,
1: you know, you talked about Kentucky a minute ago. They're starting to kind of hit their stride, and Shay yes. Gilgis Alexander has kind of been the steady rock for them. And he keeps getting better and better and better. In fact, I, I think uh, I think he may be the second guard taken in the NBA draft right now, mm-hmm. right after Colin Sexton. I, I, That's probably not a, uh, uh, it's probably not something a lot of people agree with. But he is he is just continuing to get better, and he's got a
0: lot of upside. Yeah, those guys are just, I mean, Diallo with his athleticism, it's just those those dudes, you know, there's there's the old cliche of, you know, if you're playing a bunch of freshmen and young guys, you know, they can't be freshmen at the end of the year. Well, it's like that team, they looked young at, at, at times early in the year, and now they just – it's like the light came on for them. You know, it's like they get it. They value possessions. They play hard. I think there's been a totem pole kind of established offensively with where they're trying to go with the ball – and that takes time. And it's just, it's, it was, they were, they were really impressive this week because that's a good Davidson team they beat. And then, like we said, I mean, that's a scrappy Buffalo group that they were able to, to really kind of dominate uh, and pull away from uh, late in the year or late in the game. So, yeah, I, I, I think Kentucky is definitely. You talk about teams that are hot and hitting their stride. I mean, Kentucky's like the poster child for that now.
1: For sure. Let's uh, let's slide down to the West. Florida State and Gonzaga in a nine-four matchup in the Sweet Sixteen, and then Michigan and Texas A&M. Who do you see coming out of the West?
0: Man, this is this is tough. I mean, I think the, the one team that I just eliminate. I don't think Florida State's good enough to come out of this. Out of this, I thought they were real fortunate. I agree. I thought uh, a couple of bad calls on Makira – changed that game and, and it, it, it in all reality I felt like Xavier got up 10 and kind of acted like they had won the game late I'll be honest so with I, you, th- I, th- I thought
1: Xavier was just gonna blow it open at that point
0: oh boy so did I I thought yeah when they got it to like 11 I thought it was like you're gonna win this game by 20 I thought there was a better chance of them winning the game by 20 than losing for sure they lost and so yeah I, I think uh I like Gonzaga a lot Florida State's a team that they're—I uh, don't want to call it lazy defensively because they're—they're they're good defensively, but I think they rely so much on their length to erase mistakes at the rim that they just go, ah, we don't need to lock in on this or that. And I just think with 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 Gonzaga and whether it's it's Tilly or or uh, or Norvell knocking down, they just got a lot of different guys that can. Uh, and Mark View runs good stuff. I think they're going to be able to get a lot of easy looks. And if Gonzaga's shooting it well, I think they could put it on Florida State. And then I don't know, the, the Michigan A&M game is one of the most intriguing ones because I agree. A&M, I mean, guys like me and you, Evan, that watch the games all year, like A&M right now, they look like this is how they looked in November, you know. And all of a sudden, you know, they got derailed with injuries and suspensions and all of a sudden they're whole again. But do you think, do you, with the matchup, do you think that A&M, can have Davis on the perimeter and some of their bigger guys chasing Wagner around and be as a, like, I think they're, it's a tough matchup because they're going to like B line's going to run the five out and drag some of those big guys away from the rim. That could be challenging. Now, obviously the other end's an issue, but I just, I wonder how effective some of the size guys on the perimeter can be defending Michigan. That game, that game could, uh, I I lean Michigan, but a&M looked as good as anybody in the first weekend.
1: Yeah, they did. And and what's interesting is if you put the top five of Texas A&M next to the top five at North Carolina, I would, from a talent standpoint, I would take Texas A&Ms. I just felt like they've underachieved all yep. year. And honestly, I think North Carolina's overachieved all year. And it was like Texas A&M just put it together at the right time. Because I think, and you would know this because you've seen them uh, firsthand, I think they beat a pretty scrappy, good Providence team, and then they blew the mm-hmm. doors off. Uh, a North Carolina team that's beaten Duke twice, who I think's the most talented team in the country. So I'm curious to see which A and M team shows up. And I think probably the emergence—you know—they lost uh, some guys during the season, uh, but the, maybe the emergence of the freshman T.J. Starks uh, ha- has been yep. big for them. And obviously, he's surrounded by—you know—guys like Tyler Davis and Robert Williams that can that can get it done. So I, I'm I'm really curious about that game. And honestly, I think that's probably the most intriguing sweet 16 game to me maybe that in Villanova West Virginia but I I think that's probably my the most intriguing game I actually think that Michigan comes out of here
0: so do I I I just I lean that but ultimately like you know you you play the game of like you just you you show me if if I get to see the box score and I'll just if you would show it I would just look right at at Michigan's threes if Michigan shoots it well from three they're going to win if they don't it's, it could be a long night and it could be a grinder. But I, I just I, – I lean Michigan here. Uh, you know, I, I realize that A&M has had some different things to attribute some of their inconsistencies to. But ultimately, when you're really inconsistent and Michigan's kind of hasn't been – Especially in the final month or so of the year, I just I'm going to lean Michigan in this spot.
1: Yeah, I am too. They've won 11 straight. They won that Big 12 tournament champion or Big Ten tournament championship, excuse me. And they just seem to be peaking at the right time. John B. lane has got that group uh, really rolling right now. Let's let's slide over to yeah. the East. Villanova and West Virginia in a one five matchup, and then Texas Tech and Purdue, uh, the one pod that that held exactly true uh, to their seed. Right. Uh, who who do you see coming out of the East?
0: So I like Nova a lot to come out of this, uh, this region to go to the Final Four. And I just I, – I look at West Virginia, and when, when a team has a week to prepare for your pressure and your full-court press, it's a – the difference between that and having one day to prepare, night and day. I, I, I can, my, my freshman year, when, we, when I was at Kansas, uh, it, was, it was the season UAB upset Kentucky – when there was a UAB was like an eight seed and Kentucky was a one seed and so we played UAB in the Sweet 16, and that was you know Mike Anderson full court press all that, and we had a week to prepare for the press. I mean so we're putting seven guys out there all that, and by the time the game came, Aaron Miles and Langford and those guys they were so comfortable against the press we hung like 99 on them and blew them out. I just think with all of Villanova's ball handlers with Booth, Divincenzo, Bridges, Brunson. They're going to be able to handle the ball. The pressure isn't going to bother them. And when you break that pressure consistently, you're either going to have layups, two-on-ones, three-on-twos, or wide-open threes. And I, I know it sounds crazy. I think there's a chance, Evan, this game, get like, Nova wins by 15 I just think they they got the they got the personnel to be able to handle West Virginia. I I like Nova a lot in that game. I don't know how you see it though.
1: Yeah, no, I I'm, I agree. I actually, I think Villanova is the clear best team in this tournament. I I think they're going to so win do it I. all. Uh, I think they have every piece to the puzzle and they have the experience, the skill. And you're right. You know, you you've got a leader in Jalen Brunson that can handle the press, but it's not just him. They got Dante Divincenzo, Phil Booth. They can roll out a small lineup that can probably handle it with. With ease, Uh, I not only see them knocking off West Virginia, but whoever it is in the second in the Elite Eight, Texas Tech or Purdue, uh, I see them getting by them as well.
0: The interesting thing will be, will will I read that you know Purdue's engineering department is trying to come up with a brace for Haas to be able to play? I I don't know. I I wouldn't put it past them trying to find some brace that would work to get Haas to play a little bit. But either way, it's not like you're going to get you know twenty five thirty minutes from Haas where he's the Isaac costs we've come to, to love and, and dominate. And I, I, just, I thought Purdue was a better team all year than Texas tech, but in this situation, it's hard. Evan, when you like the, the focal point of that group was to throw it into Haas. And then you had a decision to make, you know, they, uh, I saw a stat that, that uh, Haas led division one in post-ups per game at 10 and a half. So think about, all the possessions in the game, at least 10 and a half times per game, they threw the ball into Haas and he either was able to score or attract a double attract defenses, whatever. And I realized they were able to survive a game against Butler, which was a dogfight. But I just, if you, you losing that key part of your, how you're built is hard, especially when you're going to go take on a Texas tech group that is scrappy and really, really good defensively. Even the, it's hard because I, I, I've liked Purdue all year, but given the nature of how Purdue's built right now, I lean, I lean Texas Tech.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think it's Villanova, Texas Tech, and Villanova, in my opinion, uh, coming out of the the East. Let's let's slide down to the Midwest, Nick. Kansas and Clemson in a one five matchup, and Syracuse Duke. I can't believe Syracuse is in the Sweet Sixteen. Honestly, that's I mean I'm <laughs> I, 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 so I watched Syracuse during the season. I watched Middle Tennessee State during the season, and I would have said Middle Tennessee State was better. But once yeah. you get in this tournament, man, especially this year, those seeds go away, you get on the court and you play, and yep. they've knocked off some some good teams.
0: Yes. yeah,
1: I mean, the
0: zone, especially that zone, just that it, it has a way of creating some uncomfortable, difficult-to-find-rhythm types of games. And – that can be hard in in the NCAA tournament because even to, when when you can't find the rhythm offensively, you can nerves can set in. But I'm with you. I, I'm I'm shocked that Syracuse is still alive. I I like Duke a lot in this game. Uh, I, I just think the the biggest difference between Duke and Michigan State is Duke's got much better guards and and dynamic of shot making types of guards, and so I, I think they're able the the three point jump shots and the open looks that. Allen and Gary Trent and Duvall and those guys get. I think they're going to knock down. And then Michigan State was able to offensive rebound the zone, but they couldn't convert. And I just think Carter and Bagley, when they when they're able to get those offensive rebounds, they're at worst going to the free throw line. And I think sometimes they're going to be able to get three point plays out of them. So I, I like Duke a lot in this game. But you know, again, with a zone, you just you kind of never know how a team's going to react to it. But I think I think Duke's going to win. I do
1: too. I also think Duke seems to be. Uh, playing pretty well. I thought they just, just destroyed a really, a really good Rhode Island team. Like, those guards are yes. really good. Um, and I think this team has the most upside in the whole tournament. They got more yep. talent. They probably have more NBA players than any other team in the tournament. Um, and you mentioned the, the low post presence and Carter and, and Marvin Bagley and but then you've got experience and, and guys that can make shots on the perimeter. I think Trayvon Nuvall is probably their biggest X factor. Like if he's getting into the lane and creating shot opportunities for others and Gary Trent's stroke and jump shots. Uh, and then you've got Grayson Allen too. Uh, I like Duke to move on, not only against Syracuse, but the winner of Kansas close in, which is an interesting game too. I agree.
0: Yeah, I, I just, I've said all year. Duke's best is better than anybody else's best, even and even Villanova. And I and I love I, I, I love Villanova, but if if everybody maximizes, Duke's the best team in the country, and they look like a team that's beginning to maximize. And yeah, with Kansas, it's they're an interesting group. You know, you referenced that uh, North Carolina may have been a team that's been overachieving all year. I think you could say the same thing about Kansas. I mean, this might be the best job that Bill Self's done all his entire at least his tenure at, at Kansas. Um, you know, you look at just, you look at the game log and the minutes from Graham, you just, I mean, he was playing 37, 38, 39, 40 minutes for It's just, it's, it's nuts that he's been able to play the minutes that he's been able to play. and hasn't been into foul trouble. It hasn't impacted his legs and ability to score, defend, do all those things. Um, I, I like him to get past Clemson. Uh, but I, I think if if, when they see Duke, I think it's going to be a different deal. I like Duke a lot out of the Midwest.
1: Yeah, I, I do as well. So, who who's your champion at this point? We, we've got this Sweet Sixteen set. Uh, we've made our picks. Who 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 do you like to win it all?
0: Yeah, you well, know, it, it sounds hypocritical coming off of what I just said about Duke, but I'm I'm going with Nova. I just I think Nova's got that look to me. And when you think about matchups, I think Villanova against Duke's two three zone has the shot makers. I mean, they basically play six guys that can all shoot. Even their bigs, Pascal and Spellman, can step out and shoot. I, I just think they're going to be able to, to attack Duke's 2-3 zone and score with regularity and then hang in there enough on the glass against the two bigs and win. And then obviously, in all reality, I think whoever comes out of that Final Four semifinal is going to win the national title. So I got Nova beating Duke, and I think Villanova's going to win again, uh, be your national champs.
1: We are on the exact same page. Jay Wright told me earlier it's his best shooting team he's ever coached right around the 40 41% clip as a team from three. Uh, I'm with you. I think Villanova wins their second title uh, in the last three years. Nick, before I let you go, a question I love to ask uh, guys that come on my podcast. If you weren't uh, covering college basketball, what would you be doing with your life?
0: Oh my gosh, that's a, that's, a tough, that's a tough, I don't know. That's a, it sounds like I'm not very well-rounded. I, it's funny, you know, I ask this uh, question
1: to everybody I, that comes on and I couldn't answer it myself.
0: <laughs> I, I don't know. I, uh, if, I, if I couldn't cover college basketball, I'd probably coach high school basketball, but that's a cop-out because it's still basketball. Um, I, I'm the type of guy that it would be hard for me to, to pursue something that I didn't absolutely love like I, I just can't really do some sort of job that I just am let, and not engaged. So I I love music. So I probably want to do something with music. Now what that is, I I don't know. But I would I would if if right now college basketball ceased to exist, I guess I would just like turn to the music industry and become <laughs> an intern and try to figure something out. So how about that? Either high school basketball coach or I'm I'm going to become like he did he about, that's, that's what's going to happen <laughs>
1: Nick man I appreciate you taking out the time and jumping on the podcast man great stuff and uh, enjoyed your work throughout the season and, and thank you for your time
0: you got it Evan thanks man
1: this is Jay Wright This for the championship and you're listening to the
0: Sidelines with Evan Daniels
1: We'd like to once again thank FS1 college basketball analyst Nick Baugh for taking the time out and jumping on the podcast. Enjoy breaking down the rest of this NCAA tournament bracket with him. Before I let you guys go, I want to get the three big things And I'm going to start with something I alluded to in my conversation with Nick. I think Villanova is the best basketball team in the country. When they've been fully healthy, when they've had their full roster, I think they are the best team. And when they have been healthy and when they have had that full roster, they've yet to lose a game. This is my national champion pick. It's who I picked before the tournament. Now that we're heading into the Sweet 16, it is who I think will win it all. I think Villanova has all the pieces you're looking for in a title contender. They have a tremendous point guard, a guy in Jalen Brunson, who I think is the best point guard in college basketball. He can impact the game in a variety of ways. It's his creativity. It's his playmaking. He can really shoot the ball from long range, something he's really improved and he can make plays for others and and can really distribute the basketball. To go with him on the perimeter, they have experienced guards and Phil Booth and Dante DiVincenzo. Look back to that Villanova game against Alabama. Jalen Brunson and Omari Spellman get two fouls. They go to the bench. Who steps up? Dante DiVincenzo. He did it from the perimeter. He did it attacking. That dude can really, really play. And then the other guy on the perimeter, Mikhail Bridges, I think he's a lottery pick. He's really improved as a shooter. He's long. He's athletic. Eric Paschal over on the combo forward type position And the Omari Spellman gives Jay Wright a different look than he's used to. I think that team is coming together. They're playing really well. They beat Radford by 26. They destroyed Alabama, beat them by 23. They've got a showdown with West Virginia coming up. But I think Villanova is the best team in the country. If I was going to pick another, one I think it's Duke I think that they are starting to play very well much like Villanova they have rolled in the first two rounds beat Iona by 22 destroyed a very good Rhode Island team by 25 I think they have the most upside of any team in the entire country They have those post players that are really good, but they also have the experience out on the perimeter. I like Villanova and Duke to meet in the Final Four, and I say the winner of that game, and I've picked Villanova. You've heard me already say that I think they're going to win it all, but I think the winner of that game will most certainly win a national championship. The second big thing is Mohamed Bamba on Tuesday announced that he is headed to the NBA draft. That is no surprise. I think he is a top five pick in June's. NBA draft. This is a guy at 6'11", has a 7'9 wingspan, a 9'6 standing reach. All the physical gifts and the physical attributes are there. He has elite defensive upside. This is a guy that runs the court well. He can block shots with either hands, nearly four blocks a game. He does a really good job rebounding, plays hard, plays with energy. Just over 12 points and just over 10 rebounds a game. I also think offensively he is very, very gifted, more so than people have given him credit for. He has a tremendous set of mitts, and I should rewind a little when I say tremendously gifted. I think the tools are all there. I think that he's improved his footwork. I think he can go over that left shoulder and he's starting to develop the offensive game. He's got pretty good touch on those short and mid-range jump shots. And I think we're going to continue to see him develop that. So I think he is a top five pick, maybe even a top three pick in June's NBA draft. The third thing, is Kermit Davis in Ole Miss? Credit to Ross Bjork. I think he did a really good job of locking up Kermit Davis as Ole Miss's new head basketball coach. This is a guy that fits Ole Miss, uh, especially from a recruiting standpoint. He did a tremendous job at Middle Tennessee State over the last years, uh, last seven years, nearly twenty six wins a season. And he did a tremendous job of, of not only recruiting the South, but also recruiting junior colleges, hitting the transfer market. And I think that's what you're going to have to do at Ole Miss to have success. You've got to be able to recruit all three of those areas. You've got to be able to recruit the South. You've, all, you've got to be able to stay old and, and recruit junior college players. And you've got to be able to add some graduate and regular transfers as well. I think Ole Miss locked up a really good one in Kermit Davis. I think he's a tremendous fit and a really good basketball coach. Before I let you guys go, I want to make sure that you are supporting The Sidelines with Evan Daniels podcast. The best way to do that is to go over to Apple Podcasts and or your favorite podcast app. Hit the subscribe button for me, but also leave a rating or review. That is extremely helpful. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.